Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. And there's no 316 today, so I've remembered to tell the young people, sorry, uh, you're going to listen to Simon, not sorry, because obviously he's amazing. Anyway, let's welcome Simon. (laughs) Okay, are we we nice and sweaty? Okay. I'll endeavour not to make you any more sweaty. We're continuing our series, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, so it's a little four-week mini-series. Um... And the purpose of this really is to help us to grow and integrate our spirituality and our emotional health. Um, how's your week been? Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, you've been on holiday, so we can't count you down here. Um, have you felt stuff this week? Have you had stuff happen emotionally? You've been in touch with that emotion? Yeah, good. Well, three of you have again. That's good. <laughs> it's why we do these things, you know, to help, help us grow. Last week we looked at some of the uh, symptoms of uh, emotional unhealth and um, we looked at these different things um, which uh, you may or may not have resonated with in terms of some of the symptoms there. Uh, And hopefully over these next few weeks you will find space and time, I know you've got busy lives, to actually stop and reflect on some of this stuff because if we don't stop and we don't let the word of God get into us, then Jesus gave us various analogies about we like wise men who build our house on the sand, we like people who look in the mirror, then forget what we look like. It doesn't matter what analogy you use. My wife's pulling those doors too, guys, even though it's warm, just so we can... um, um, Even though we hear the word of God, we need to have time to let the word of God apply itself to our lives. It has to go in, it has to land, it has to grow, it has to root, it has to bear fruit. Uh, and uh, hopefully over these next few weeks we can stimulate some of that in our lives. Okay, so you need to partner with me in this. Okay, I can't do it on my own. I can't change you in half an hour on a Sunday. Yeah? It's tough, you know, looking out this morning. I'm thinking, how can I change these guys? But no, it's the Holy Spirit who changes us. It's the Holy Spirit who works in us to bring transformation. All we're doing today is we're signposting what God is encouraging us into. So today we're going to look at some of the benefits of emotionally healthy spirituality. But first, let's think about why do we get stuck as believers? Why do we get stuck in our maturity, uh, in growing in Christ? Why, why does that happen? We come to church, we listen to fantastic talks. We worship, we sing fantastic songs, incredible words. We put ourselves uh, around people who encourage us, support us. Uh, we might have our quiet time. We listen to podcasts. But sometimes still getting stuck uh, and not growing as we thought we might do. Some of that parts of our lives seem kind of entrenched. They seem untouched by God. We can't seem to get past certain things, and we circle around them. And we find ourselves with deeply rooted behaviours that don't seem to be able to shift. No matter how great the worship is, how great the talks are, how great our friends are, we find ourselves still with these deep things entrenched. And sometimes Christianity can end up just a bit like a list, a list of do's and don'ts. Yeah? You know, you've got your I should do this list, which often we don't do. And we've got I shouldn't do this list, which we often do do. (laughs) Come on, let's have some honesty in the room. And all we can tend towards then is a growing sense of guilt and shame in our Christianity because we don't feel ourselves measuring up. We don't feel like we're doing the things we should do. 
And we ha- again, we have these, these deeply rooted fears that we're not really Christian, we're not really changing. Peter Scazzaro, in his book uh, we talked about last week, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he mentions, um, he talks about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not really a book we often go to. It's a difficult book to preach from. It's an apocalyptical book. Apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world. It means revelation. So when we talk about the apocalypse, we're simply talking about revelation. Uh, And so Peter takes us into that book, and he, he explains how that book was written at a time when Christians are really struggling under, under Roman rule. Uh, in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, they were really under the cosh in terms of the Roman Empire. And that letter was written about AD 90, uh, 95. Uh, and the writer's style is apocalyptical. It's, it's talking about a revelation, a revelation that comes from God, from Christ, to try and help them understand the context and the culture in which they're living. And John uses all sorts of pictures and strange metaphors to try and describe what's going on for the life of these early believers. And um, the book talks about the beast. And often the, the beast has been used and interpreted in all sorts of different ways when we look at the book of Revelation. But, um, but really the beast is the Roman Empire in the context of what was being written in Revelation. Uh, the culture, the economy, um, the, whole, the might of the Roman Empire empire and army was creating a very powerful culture in which these early believers found themselves. I'll just put the beast up for you. We saw him last week. There he is. But this, this might, it brought stability. It brought security also within the Roman Empire. And people were excited about Roman rule because they saw the Roman Empire as this place where there was security. There was, even though it was it was a very uh, hierarchical system. It offered security, prosperity, potential opportunity for influence. Uh, and the whole world seemed to envy what, what Rome was doing uh, in that part of the world at that time. The Apostle John writes this in Revelation 13. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. They also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against her? And so as a result, many Christians will find themselves in this culture whereby... Which way did they go? Which way did they respond? If they didn't submit to the Roman culture, didn't submit to the beast, then the likelihood was they would, be, they would lose influence, they would lose privilege, they may even lose their income, they may even face persecution. The beast demanded allegiance. The Roman Empire demanded allegiance. And some early believers found this pressure too much. They simply gave up and quit. Their faith, they couldn't cope with the the pressure they were in. Some tried to find a middle ground, which I think resonates a lot with us. We try and keep one foot in culture and one foot in the church. We try and straddle both worlds. Balancing act that we try and do. But for many early believers, they simply got assimilated into the culture of the Roman Empire. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll find that God makes it clear there can be no assimilation between the beast and Christ. There can be no sort of cross-pollination, no, no hybrid. We have two choices. Either we allow ourselves to be absorbed into the culture of the beast, or in Revelations 18.4, we come out of her. We come out of the beast. We come out of the culture. And the book of Revelation also helps understand that behind the culture of the Roman Empire was a powerful satanic force. 
the devil himself was, was using the Roman Empire as a tool to extend his rule and reign, his kingdom, upon the face of the earth. And there's a sim- symbolism of a dragon, a ferocious dragon is used to describe Satan, this ferocious, all-powerful dragon, representing this satanic power that is driving this empire forward. And Satan is using the Roman Empire to cut believers off from God by any means possible, social, economic, persecution. He's using the empire as a tool to cut believers off from the presence of God in relationship with Jesus. Revelation 12.9 says this, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. The dragon was enraged and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So we have an insight to the writing of Revelation of the demonic oppression and strategy that's taking place and being exercised through culture. And the message we find from Revelation is that throughout history, as believers, we're wrestling with the beast. We're wrestling with the beast of the culture that we find ourselves in. Revelation 13.10 says this, This calls for patience, endurance, and faithfulness on the part of God's people. If we're going to be able to thrive and prosper in Christ, in the culture God has placed us, we have to recognize that the culture does affect us. Even a culture like modern Western culture has a powerful effect upon us. Today we face a culture that has been like no other culture in history. A combination of capitalism and technology and modern communications has formed a global culture like no other ever formed in history. And so we have a new beast to face in terms of the culture we find ourselves in. So what are some of the core values of this beast that we currently live within? Happiness is found in the things you have. Does that resonate with anybody? We all... <laughs> I'm going to get some real believers in. We get... <laughs> We all love our toys, don't we? We're always thinking about what's the next toy, what's the next thing on your list. Got your Amazon wish list all bulked up, ready to go. Got your Christmas list, you got your next car, Prime. Find happiness in things. Retail therapy is a very powerful thing. We feel low, we go out and buy something to make ourselves feel better. When we look around, we see people with lots of stuff and we think they're successful. They've made it, they must be happy, they must have security. Happiness is found in things. You should get all you can for yourself as quickly as you can. The culture we're in now, particularly the culture of celebrity and fame, must be, it's very hard for young people because they see very young people getting lots of stuff very quickly. In the old days, back in the old days, um, <clears throat> you left school, you worked hard, you bought your first car eventually, you worked hard. Now it seems that sometimes... Everything is available very quickly. And the culture would say, you need to assimilate as much as you can, as quickly as you can. Grab it all, grab it all as quickly as you can, because you'll find happiness and security. Linked to that, security is found in money, power, fame, status, and good health. The health industry is huge. The diet industry is huge. Because there's a perception created again that your physicality will bring you satisfaction and security. And you just need to get all that stuff around you and, and build that, that sense of security because that's where, that's where it is. Above all else, seek pleasure, convenience and comfort. 
Thank you for being honest back there, sir. So we, 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 hate, we hate inconvenience, don't we? We go mad when our phones stop working, when our cars stop working, when someone digs the road up. You know, we should have a right to just get everywhere as fast as we can, as quickly as we can. We should be able to get our agenda done without hindrance, without interference. We rail at people when our hoover breaks, you know. We're all these things. Exactly. <laughs> because culture, the beast tells us that we are first. We are primary. Our agenda is the main thing. And so, pleasure, convenience, comfort, these are the idols that we pursue. Because when we find them, we think that's, again, where our happiness is going to lie. Christianity is just one of many alternative spiritualities. You know, there is no absolutes anymore. Christianity just sits in this sea of spirituality. And so, if you're a Christian, great for you. If you're somebody else, great for you. A link to that, there are no moral absolutes. Whatever is true for you is true. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. I think gravity is an interesting one, but we won't go into that today. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's all about relative truth. Relative truth rules. You're not responsible for anyone but yourself. You know, you should look after yourself first of all. Everyone else can go and do what they need to do, but you should primarily focus on yourself. And... God is irrelevant to modern, everyday life. These are just some of the things that we can think about. You might have your own list. You can add bits and pieces to that. But that's the beast of the culture that we currently live in, that we currently are in. We're like a fish in a sea. We, don't, we can't see the breadth and the, and the width of the culture that we're immersed in because it's all around us. We eat it. We drink it. We, we're taught in it. We work in it. We play in it. We do church in it. We're within this huge global culture now that has these values underneath the surface that are being propagated through us. And being immersed in the culture, in the beast this way, it does affect us, it does change us, it does influence us, whether we realise it or not. Paul writes in Romans 7, I'll read from the message, he's immersed in culture back then just as we're immersed in culture now. He says this, I need something more. I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't do it. I decide not to do bad, and I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone deeply wrong within me and gets the better of me every time. The moment I decide to do good... Sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me is covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Anyone resonate with the words of Paul? Paul saw his own untamable T-Rex within. He saw it very clearly. These seemingly uncontrollable forces of sin that wage war within us, inflamed by the culture that he was resident in. And what do we see inside our own selves? Do we ever stop to take a look? Maybe we're sometimes a bit scared to do that. You know, it's easy not to look inside. It's easy not to take a long, hard look at ourselves and see what we see. And sometimes we're afraid to let God have free will in our lives because what will he do? If we really do give him full control, what will he do to us? 
You know, what will he make us do? What will happen if we really let God in, like we talked about last week? And we could also reason that sometimes we look at the church and say, well, the beast has clearly taken the church captive as well. Because now God is seen more as a personal assistant than somebody we ultimately worship. He's there to make our lives better. He's there to make our lives easier. He's there to make us have more convenience and comfort. And we said we can have this tendency to squeeze God into a segment of our lives, into a section, into an annex, believing that's where he should reside. But I think most of us resonate with Paul. Something has gone deeply wrong within us, and we can't fix it on our own. But then if you know this passage, Paul goes on to write, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set all things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Thank Christ that Jesus can do this. He can do this. He can bring about the transformation and the change. But if we're going to engage in deep, deep transformation, we do need to give God the space and the time to allow him to do that. If we're going to allow him to weave us back together again and sew us whole, we do need to give him the space and the opportunity. And that's what we're going to encourage throughout this series. Peter Scazzera would say to do this, we need to integrate emotional health with contemplative spirituality. These two things need to come together to give the space and the time and the tools to weave us back together again. And if we do let these things in, they can transform the hidden places within us. They can bring about real change. So what does emotional health look like? Naming, recognising and managing our own feelings. It's something many of us aren't very good at. When you ask people how they feel, it's fine. And that's a great description of sandpaper, but it's not a good description for you. Now, what are you really feeling? What have you felt this week? Have you been in touch with the feelings that you've had? Can you name those feelings? Can you get behind those feelings and understand what's going on? Emotional health means breaking free from self-destructive patterns. Often things have become so entrenched in our lives that we just sleepwalk into them. We've talked before about that sort of that cycle of the stimulus and the reward, the habit, and we just sleepwalk into these things over and over again because they're entrenched in us. So emotional health and insight helps us begin to identify and break free from those patterns. Being aware of how your past impacts your present. The stuff that has happened to you has affected you. That's why Freedom in Christ is such a powerful course. Opportunity to stop and reflect and allow God's truth in to counteract some of the lies that have been laid there as you've grown. Developing capacity to express your thoughts and feelings clearly, and this is verbally and non-verbally. Sometimes we say so much through our faces and nothing's said through our mouths, but we can all tell what we're thinking because we wear our hearts on our sleeve, don't we? But emotional health is about learning to communicate honestly and openly and truthfully and graciously with each other. Initiating and maintaining close and meaningful relationships. We're in a culture where we can have hundreds of relationships, but are they meaningful? Do you have people who can speak real truth into your life? Scripture says wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So you can have lots of people who just say, great, great, you're doing really good, you're doing great. Who's the person who says, hang on a minute, you know, is that really a good thing to do? Or do you really want to do that? Or when you did that, do you realize that did this? Do you have anybody who loves you enough to speak tough into your life? 
That's so important. Meaningful relationships. Tough one here. Respecting and loving others without having to change them. Oh, no. I'm in the mission of changing people. You know, I want to bend them all to my will, make them like me so I can like them. It's a great thing about small groups, isn't it? Full of people not like you who really wind you up. That's what small groups are all about. Do you realize that? It's a place where you get a chance to work out grace together, to be around people who are not like you. You knock the corners off each other, and you learn to grow together. Like the passage we heard this morning, read so beautifully by Christine. You know, you are the mediator of God's love and grace to each other. You're living examples of Christ to one another. And so, you know, can you respect and love other people without, without thinking, I must change this person, I must bend this person to my will, I must make them think like me or act like me? Learning to resolve conflict maturely. We talked a bit last week about how we're shaped by how we manage conflict in our families. You know, did your family do conflict well? Do you still need to learn and grow in how you do conflict well? And lastly, a really important one, grieving well. And that's not just for the loss of loved ones. Life is loss. Okay? Life is loss. All through life you are losing things. Okay? You recognize that? Things are running away from you. They're going through your fingers. Time's escaping you. Your good looks are just perishing on the vine. <laughs> you lose your hair. You lose your vitality. You lose friends. You, we lose stuff. Things break. Life is loss. Unless we can grieve well and do loss well, then we're going to really struggle to be connected people. So can, can we just step back and say, that hurt, or that was painful, or that loss, I need to acknowledge that. If you try and bridge over loss, it will come back and bite you. We need to learn to journey through the valley of loss, healthily, even with the smallest things. But the culture would say, if it breaks, replace it. If it hurts, go and buy something to feel better. But actually, handling loss well is so important. So we learn to grieve well as we grow emotional health. The other side of that coin, the contemplative spirituality, let's look at some of the things that that brings up for us. Communing with God, allowing him to fully indwell in the depth of our being. It's stopping long enough in God's presence to really let him in. Now, the ground at the moment is so hard, when the first rains come, it's going to bounce off the ground, isn't it? We're going to be flooded, you know, because the, right, the ground is so hard, it'll take a long time for that rain to penetrate and soften. If you're just a person who's just in and out with God all the time, and you don't allow him to saturate your heart, then your heart becomes like that. It can easily bounce God. But we need to let God saturate and permeate us, indwell us. And linked to that, we have to position ourselves to hear God and remember that he's with us throughout the whole day. From the moment you're consciously awake, he's there. He's there when you sleep. The moment you go into sleep, God is with you in everything that you do. He's fully present in all of your life. And part of our task is to try and recognize that and connect with him. He's in everything. He's the smoothie. He's not the grapefruit. He's in all parts of our lives. And this is a real difficult one in our modern culture. Practice silence, solitude, and prayer. We don't like silence. We don't like being on our own. Because we live in a culture of stimulation. So whenever we feel momentary alone, we feel panic. So we reach for our phone, and we check our Facebook to make sure someone still likes us. Or we turn the TV on, or we go and hang out with somebody. We don't like being alone, 
and we don't like silence because when silence comes, then we get to stop and reflect and think and go, oh dear. And we get to see inside ourselves. And it is difficult. But without that space, without that, that container, then we don't get a chance to fully allow God into our lives. And so linked to that, we rest attentively in God's presence. We just spend time being still with him. And we surrender to him. You know, worship really is about surrender. When we come to worship, what we do is we're saying, God, I put you first over me. Romans 12 says, In view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of service. This is your, this is your worship. This is the reasonable thing that you should do for God because of what he's done for you. So essentially, when we worship God, we surrender ourselves to him. We give him the steering wheel. We say, God, over to you. And that's hard again because we're used and we're conditioned. The beast tells us we need to manage our lives well. We need to have everything pinned down. We need to have control over every aspect of our lives. But Jesus said, surrender. Be still and know that I am God. And we understand that our earthly journey is a journey of transformation towards a deepening union with God. When you, when you get to heaven, you don't want to meet Jesus as, as a stranger, do you? No. no, you don't. You want to be welcomed by an old friend, a friend you've communed with your whole life and grown to know and got to know. So when you meet him, it's like connecting with an old friend. And that's what we want to do. We want to see life as a journey of deepening communion with Jesus, traveling on to our ultimate home in him. And so when we combine the powerful combination of emotional health and contemplative spirituality, we end up with something that looks a bit like this. We've got that, that vertical connection with God running through the middle, that, that, that contemplation. We've got emotional health integrating into us and then that enables us to do stuff it enables us to love God well love others well and to love ourselves well the greatest commandment Jesus said was to love God with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself and when we begin to integrate ourselves then we can do that so much better we love from a place of wholeness not from a place of fragmentation Contempt, uh, this contemplative sort of style has been described in many ways throughout history. Brother Lawrence says this, he said, it's called the pure, loving gaze that finds God everywhere. Isn't that beautiful? The pure, loving gaze that finds God everywhere. And Francis de Sales said this, the mind's loving, unmixed, permanent attention to the things of God. And so we're looking to bring this integration that this diagram alludes to. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others are two sides of the same coin. So when we connect with God, it affects how we connect with others, and when we connect with others, it affects how we connect with God. We can't, link, can't break these two apart. We're actually joined in that way. And if you look in 1 John 4, you know, John says there's no way you can love God and not love people, because that's just a, it's just, it just, it's a schism. It can't, it can't be that way. So when we get this emotional health in our interior, we begin to love God differently. We begin to love people differently. And there's three core benefits we want to explore quickly today about living integrated lives. The benefit of slowing down, 
the benefit of being anchored in God's love, and the benefit of breaking free from worldly influences. I might just do one and save some more for next week so we've got time to ministry. I might just do the first one today, okay? And we'll push the other two to next week. So are you busy? Yes, I know you're busy. We're all busy, aren't we? We're all, we all feel overstretched. We all feel pressured. We all feel tired. We all feel starved of time to some degree or another. That's the, the beast, the cultural beast that we live within. It says you are busy. Busy is part of living in this culture. And the problem we have as evangelical Christians is we love acting. Yeah? It makes us feel good. We should do stuff for God. Charles Burton said, brethren, do something, do something, do something. Charles was bored of meetings and committees. So he just said, Christians, just go out and do something. And we've really taken that on. We've really, as evangelicals, we say, okay, Christian faith should be outworked. We should do stuff. We should do lots of stuff. The more stuff we do, the better. And we should never stop doing anything. We should just do more stuff. Yeah? Just keep doing stuff. Even though the Bible says it's better to stop than to start, we just keep layering stuff on. We just keep doing stuff. Because we're, we, doing stuff makes us happy. It makes us feel useful. It makes us feel helpful. But our greatest strength can also be our greatest weakness. While we excel in activity and mobilizing people, what we don't excel in is actually being still before God and being replenished by him. So often we're so concentrating on the activities, we pay very little attention to ourselves, our own emotional health, our own spiritual state. And sometimes being so active leaves us very little time for reflection, very little time to have this space where we allow God in, we allow him to go deeper. Anybody resonate with this? And we also need to understand that simply slowing down isn't enough. Simply doing less isn't enough. We have to slow down to be with God. Okay? We don't slow down and put something else into our lives. We don't do less Christian activity to put more secular activity into our lives. We slow down to make space for God. Are you all familiar with the story of Mary and Martha? Let's quickly read it today. Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So we see Mary and Martha, we see two approaches to the Christian life, don't we? We see Martha's actively serving Jesus, she's busy. But in her busyness, she's also missing the person of Jesus. Imagine Jesus coming to your house, and you're dashing about. Um, this will resonate with some of you, I know. You're, you're tidying up, you're hoovering, you make sure everything's straight, you, know, you get your nibbles sorted out. And Jesus is sitting there in your front room. <laughs> I know this resonates with many of you. Um, she's so busy in trying to get things right and sorted in the activity, she's missing the very person of Jesus. You get the impression that even if Martha stopped and sat at the Lord's feet, she'd be distracted. In modern culture, she'd be on a phone. She'd be on <laughs> Tesco's order. Yeah, get something. <laughs> 
She'd still be irritated. She'd still be agitated. She'd still be because that was her personality type. That was the way she was doing her Christian life. She was fragmented in her approach. But Mary, on the other hand, sometimes I think is seen too simplistically. She's just like Mary's the one who's getting away with it. She's skiving. She's, you know, she's, she knows her sister's the busy one, so she'll just... But I think in Mary we see a different picture. We see somebody who's desperate to connect with the person of Jesus. She's enjoying that intimate, intimate connection she's finding sitting at his feet. She's attentive. She's still before him. She's allowing him to engage and that's what we talk about with this contemplative life. She's actually making that space to stop and be still with the person of Jesus. Mary's not trying to master God. She's not trying to bend Jesus to her way. Jesus has become her, her centre of gravity. And she's, she's orbiting around him. She's, she's, he, he's the fixed point. And she's slowed right down to focus on him. And yes, the house is probably messy. And yes, the nibbles probably need sorting out. And yes, this and yes, that. But for her, the most important thing is to be still with Jesus. Do you remember the first time you fell in love with Jesus? Some of you, it might have been growing up in a Christian household and having a realisation for yourself. For others, it might have been a specific point in time. But you remember the time when he captivated you. You know, you, you, were, like, you were like caught, captivated by the love of God. And Jesus is desperate for all of us to stay in that place where we're captivated with his love. He's captivated with you as well. Do you know that? You're, you're the apple of his eye, it says in Scripture. You know, the apple of the eye, the, eye the, the, the pupil, is the most precious part of the eye. You're, you're, he's captivated by you. And he wants you to be captivated by him. And, but we all go through this, often this process of innocence lost as Christians. We get involved in the mechanics of Christianity, the mechanics of church. And we look under the hood and go, oh my goodness, it's not as nice as I thought it was. These people are messy people, and there's, there's broken stuff in there, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. And that, we, we go through a process of innocence lost, and, we, and Christianity becomes more of a mechanical thing, and more of a traditional thing, more of an institutional thing. And in Revelations, it alludes this, doesn't it? It says, be, you know, be, be aware, you've, you've forsaken your first love, you've missed that sense of initial connection that you had when you started. But Jesus is desperate for us to return to the simplicity of being with him and knowing him for ourselves. Church is great, and will continue to be great, and all the things that we can do together are great, but if that's replacing Jesus for you, then you need to get priorities back in your life. Jesus needs to be the centrality of your life. And when we have this innocence loss, we can end up with this sort of situation, where our activity is now completely disproportional to our contemplation. And we end up with this kind of twisted life that flows out of that, that isn't quite in kilter. It feels out of sorts. It feels out of balance. It feels like we're off somewhere trying to do this thing called Christianity. I think many of us can resonate with that picture. I certainly can, um, because one of the worst things about being a pastor is it ruins your, your faith in Jesus. <laughs> it does. Because uh, whenever you pick your Bible up, then you think, oh, that would be good for a sermon, or I could, I could use that to talk to that person, or hang on a minute. And years ago, Jesus said to me, you need to take the boat out with me. When Jesus wanted to speak to the crowds, he, he nicked a fisherman's boat, and he said, you know, can we, Simon Peter, can we jump in your boat? Can we push out? And Jesus said, you need to be really disciplined to take the boat out, because the crowds will always be there, if you're a pastor, but you need to get in the boat with me and get away, and get out, get out on the boat, just you and me. And have I done that regularly? No. Do I need to do it regularly? 
Yes. So you can all hold me accountable. You can say, have you taken the boat out recently? Because there's a pressure. Because church will mess you up. People will mess you up. Stuff will mess you up. And it will interfere with your Christian faith. It will, it will change the dynamics of your life in Jesus. Unless you, in a disciplined way, reconnect with him and allow his life to flow back into you and to recalibrate you, we end up with this kind of twisted life that is not a true reflection of what Jesus intended for us. So we need to restore the balance. We need to get contemplation and activity back in sync in our lives. So we've got enough stillness, enough quietness, enough connectedness with Jesus to inform our activity. You know, your activity for God needs to flow from your time with God. If you're, you're not spending enough time with God, then what's coming out of you isn't, is something that's self-generated. It's not that wellspring that Jesus talked about that should be flowing out of you, that surplus towards other people. So when we foster this balance, we get this much more in-tune, connected life. That's what that straight line is representing there. We feel more like we're centred in the person of God and we feel more like we're flowing from a, point, a, a place of harmony and clarity and grace that Jesus is bringing. And we're all different, guys. We all need different rhythms in our lives. You might need more time with God, less time with God. We all need to find that rhythm that works for us, that brings that, that harmony back into our lives. But don't let culture be the one that tries to drive you. What is the person of Jesus saying to you at this time? You know, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you at this time? The Holy Spirit never makes us feel guilty. Can I just clarify that? The devil makes us feel guilty. The devil will try and make you sit there and think, ah, well, you haven't measured up, have you? You know, all this lack and all this double-mindedness and all this stuff, that is condemnation. That doesn't come from God. That's the devil. So kick that out. The Holy Spirit brings conviction and says to us, this needs to change or this needs to change. Okay? What is the Holy Spirit speaking clearly to you about today? It might be coffee, but don't worry about that. Okay? Come back here. Come back to me. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about this? Because if we hear the voice of God, we can't let that be snatched away. It's like a seed. We have to allow it to germinate. I'm going to pause and let's stand together. We'll do the rest next week, don't worry. Could you see the Holy Spirit resting on many of you, if not all of you? Um, so let's just let him, just let him come in a bit more today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We, we hunger for you. We hunger for the life that you offer us. We hunger for the vision of life that you gave us, Jesus. And uh, Lord, we need you. In the words of Paul, we know that inside things are broken. Things have gone wrong. And we need you to come and make a difference. We need you to be the one who brings about change. So Lord, we welcome you. We welcome you in today. We welcome your presence. We welcome your presence. Just let him in. Let, Let the Spirit come and rest upon you. Just be like Mary. Just sit still for a moment at the feet of Jesus. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to think anything. Just sit still in his presence. Come, Spirit. Increase your presence. Increase your presence. We bless you, Jesus. He's here. You can just see. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord.
we welcome you. And Lord, I just bind any condemnation now in Jesus' name. Bind any sense of guilt. And Jesus, I pray for the clarity of your voice to be the voice that comes through, that voice of encouragement, that voice of hope, that voice of vision. Jesus, you are deepening your union with us day by day, week by week, and we're so grateful that you're so faithful to us and you love us so much. But Lord, we just pray for this balance. We pray for this balance to be established in our lives. If it's there, God, we celebrate it. If it's not, God, we look forward to it. So maybe just in your heart, say, Jesus, I want this. I I want this. I I want to establish this with you. I acknowledge that this is my heart's desire. This is my heart's desire. Come, Spirit. Come, Spirit. We bless you, Lord. Jesus is going to act to set things right in your life of contradictions where you want to serve God with all your heart and mind but you find yourself being pulled away. Jesus can and does and will set things right in your life. Jesus, I thank you. This is no surprise to you. Thank you, Lord, that in you, you can set us free. You can bring us into a whole new freedom, a whole new experience. So, Lord, we pray for this week that be little times when we can just come aside. Little times this week when we can come aside, Lord, and just stop. Just stop and be still. Spirit, would you, would you prompt us? Even the most unusual places, maybe at work, God, we wouldn't expect it. Maybe at home when we wouldn't expect it. Maybe we're out and about and we don't expect it. Lord, would you just, just speak to us? You know, you can practice solitude in the middle of the busiest place. You can be standing in the middle of a high street and you can close your eyes and be still with God. And no one can take that from you. So Lord, when the temptation is to reach for our phone or to reach for an activity or to reach for a friend, God, would you just gently say, how about, how about me first? How about me first? How about you just come to me first? And I'll show you what I can do. I'll show you who I am afresh. So Lord, would you bless our journey? <coughs> would you bless the few days ahead and the weeks ahead, God? As we go into the summer, God, would it be a time of real deepening connection with you? Let me ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Just a lovely sense of the Lord. He said, don't feel like you've got to rush away. If you want to be still with him a bit longer. If you'd like someone to pray with you today, again, take the opportunity. But remember, this is going to take time to shift. So give God time. Allow him in. Give him the space. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.